right, let's get started. I'm glad to see you. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. And do you want me to thank God for the food? I mean, how many of you ate? Well, <laughs> uh, I haven't eaten yet, so I'll try not to pass out from, from hunger while I'm talking to you. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for the joy and the privilege that's ours of knowing you and fellowshipping with you and visiting together. And uh, the study of your word is precious to us, and we're grateful for this privilege. Thank you for watching over us. Um, I pray that you'll continue to keep us safe and strong and healthy. Father, we do pray for those who are ill, that you will bless them. Uh, Father, we pray for a soon end to this virus. Uh, that no one else would get it, that you would do what only you can do in your own powerful and miraculous way. Uh, Father, we look forward today to our continuing study of Luke. Pray that you'll speak to us from your precious word. I do thank you for all who I'm able to see on the screen and at least see their names. I miss them very, very much. But we look forward to the beginning of our regathering process this weekend and pray that in it your name will be glorified. So, Father, bless us now. Encourage our hearts. I pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. All right, we're in we're in Luke. Uh, we are in chapter three. If you were with us last time, you know that we we talked about verses one and two under the message of John the Baptist, the time frame, and we finally came to verse two. And let me read that again. Verse two of chapter three. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So here is our uh, first adult acknowledgement of John following his career in Luke. And he is the son of Zechariah, a priest, and he emerges from the wilderness where he has lived for some considerable time. And he comes preaching the word of God that has been given to him uh, directly by the Lord. So that's where we left off last week. And before we read verses three through nine, I want us to think about something. In Luke so far, we have been introduced to a lot of little people. Now, by little, I don't mean height or waist size. I just mean people that the world considers meek and lowly and insignificant and unknown. Think about it. Uh, we've been introduced to Mary and Joseph, two unknown people except God, poor, Joseph, a carpenter, trying to scratch out a living. And God chooses Mary to be the mother of his son, and he chooses Joseph to be the earthly father of his son. We've been introduced to shepherds. In Israel, there was no one lowlier on the totem pole than shepherds. They were socially unacceptable. They were religiously unacceptable. Because of the job they had to do, they could not participate in the rituals and the ceremonies. And so they were considered persona non grata in Israel. And yet, to whom do the angels appear to announce the birth of the Son of God? Shepherds. We meet an old man named Simeon. You know, I 
I can use the term old man now without anybody thinking I'm insulting them because I am one of them. So we are introduced to an old man named Simeon who spends most of his time at the temple and except for this passage of scripture would have been completely unknown to us. But God had a purpose for Simeon and he told Simeon he would live to see the Messiah. And when he saw him, Simeon said, okay, this is him. I'm going to pronounce a blessing on him and I'm ready to come home. God, take me home. As if he is saying, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And I'm ready to go home. Anna, prophetess, also insignificant in the eyes of most people. She spent all, all of her time around the temple. Well known, but I would imagine considered a little bit odd, don't you think? Spend all your time in one place. Did she even have a home to go to? We don't know. But God used Anna to proclaim a blessing and a a prophecy about Jesus, saying even to Mary, the mother of Jesus, this child, there will be a sword that will pierce your heart, speaking of the suffering that she would have because of the crucifixion of her son. So we met a lot of little people. And then we meet another one. His name is John. He's going to get the name John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Now, just because he's called John the Baptist doesn't mean he was the founder of the first Baptist church of somewhere in Israel. He gets that name because he was the baptizer. He baptized Jesus. We'll read about that in a minute. And so he is called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he emerges from the wilderness having spent his adult years uh, in obscurity in the wilderness, likely in a place that is called Qumran, which you may have heard of as the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. There John studied the word of God, no doubt made copies of the word of God, worshipped, lived in isolation with others like him, and uh, was totally unknown to the rest of the world until God began to fulfill his plan for John, and John emerges from the wilderness to preach the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Some of you have had the privilege of going to the Holy Land. You've been to Qumran, which is likely where John was. And if you can remember that location in the wilderness, not right next to the Dead Sea, you'll probably agree with me that the the terrain there has more is more like the surface of the moon than it is the place where you and I live in Texas. And so there, from there emerges John the Baptist to preach the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, before we leave this thought of the kind of people God uses, I want to refer to Paul's epistle to 1 Corinthians. You can write this down. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. 1 Corinthians 1, 
verses 26 to 29. Now listen to these words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Does that not point up exactly the truth of what we have found so far in the gospel of Luke? Would you have picked Mary and Joseph if you were writing the story? Ah, probably not. You know, we're enamored of the big time and the wealth and the glamour and the glitz. We would have probably picked some world famous couple. I'm glad I didn't write the story. It would have been a disaster and we'd still be lost in our sins. But God picked a young couple, Mary and Joseph. Mary, a virgin, to be the mother of his son. What an amazing story. God does not, often does not choose the wise and the powerful or the popular. And that is very confounding to the religious establishment as we will see the farther we get into the gospel of Luke. And as you're already familiar with the story, we find it in all four of the gospels, the religious leaders, the religious establishment can hardly stand it. And so we come to verse three and let's find out what the message of John is. What is the ministry of John, the one called the baptizer? So look at chapter three. Verse three, he, that's John, he went into all the country around the Jordan. So that's the Jordan River picture in your mind. The Holy Land, Israel, picture the Jordan River on the eastern side of the country, coming down out of the mountains in the north, flowing south to the Sea of Galilee, emerging on the other end of the Sea of Galilee to flow down to the Dead Sea. And if you will picture in your mind the territory between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea in and around the river, then you can picture the area in which John went to preach. Some of that area is was lightly populated. Uh, some of it was pretty desolate. And yet what we find is the word of what John was saying was so powerful that people came from miles and miles and miles away to what I would call subject themselves to the message of John the baptizer and an incredible message it was indeed. So he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. 
again, as we see over and over and over and over again, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the story, the life of Jesus. And so the one who's to prepare the way, John the baptizer, comes and preaches a message of repentance. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones of which there were many around him as he preached, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So let's think about those verses for a moment. Verse three is a summary of John's ministry. And it tells us that he comes out of the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So if you want just a one verse summary of the ministry of John the Baptist, you have it in in verse three. The word baptism means to immerse. We who are Baptists are familiar with that term. The word baptism means immerse, dunk, get wet all the way. So picture John baptizing, and with all due respect to others who might disagree with this, uh, he didn't take a cup and splash it on you as you got into the River Jordan to be baptized by him. Um, although that would have made life easier on him physically, but that would have been contrary to God's intent. He immersed you all the way from head to foot. You're wet. And baptism means immersion. And he is doing a baptism that symbolizes repentance. So the message that he is preaching is one of baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, word baptism means immerse. What does the word repentance mean? Um, The word repentance means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. It means to turn around and go the opposite way. Now, that can be physical, but also the intent here, more than being physical, is spiritual. Now, physically, we might say, if you're familiar with military terms, it's an about face and move out or to the rear march. Forward march in the opposite direction. Move out. Let's go. So you're going one way and you turn around and you go the opposite way. That's the meaning of the word repentance. So understand the word repentance 
is not a term that is intended to cause warm and fuzzy feelings. Repentance is a term that's intended to cause a disturbance in your heart that causes you to know I've got to have a change of life, a change in direction. That's the word repentance. So you turn around and you're going in the opposite direction. One of the reasons that we who are in churches who offer public invitations, we ask people to come forward to respond to Christ, have to deal very carefully with those who come and make sure they're not coming forward and just filling out a card and getting presented to the church. And everybody says, isn't that wonderful? No, it's much more than that. It is a matter of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a change of direction, um, asking Christ to forgive your sins and to to declaring him as Lord of, of, of your life. So that's what, what John is doing here. He's, he's not interested in making anybody feel good. Uh, to the contrary, he is, he's a disturber and he's wanting the message of repentance to penetrate deep into the heart of everyone who is listening to him. And I think the astonishing thing that shows the movement of God in John's preaching is that people knew coming out there to hear him that as it were, they're going to get punched in the face and they came anyway. Do you find that to be amazing? Today, everybody says, oh, don't say too much about sin. Don't say too much about repentance. It gets people all, oh, we make people feel bad about themselves. John would say, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm wanting people to feel bad, to understand I'm a sinner. And I need to repent of my sin. And yet, in spite of knowing and hearing the message summarized, people came anyway. And they listened. And and by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, they repented of their sins and submitted to the baptism of repentance in the Jordan River. Must have been quite the event or the events and this wasn't a one-day revival. This went on for a long time as John preached the message of repentance for sin. So John preaches hard. Um, you know, when you see a, a preacher sweating, you know he's preaching hard. And John preached hard. Now, I don't know if he sweat or not because it's so dry there. Um, he may not sweat, but I'll tell you, he was preaching hard and he was preaching loud. He had to preach loud because he was being listened to by thousands of people and you can't just talk softly and be heard. And so John proclaimed the message loudly and called for a decision. He didn't just say, go home and think about it. He called for an immediate decision to follow, uh, to, to, to repent from their sin. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness. And so John is calling people to repent. Um, I think in, in Sunday, one of the passages that we'll read from will be the 103rd Psalm. And, and one of the greatest verses in that Psalm, in my opinion, is verse 12, 
as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's what repentance does. God removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, which you know is a picture of infinity. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are forgiven in Christ. Now, the the quote from Isaiah that I read a moment ago, if you're referencing that, it comes from the 40th chapter of Isaiah, verses 3 through 5. And I'll just read it because it says almost exactly what we find in, in Luke. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. There you go. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As you have no doubt read, heard, studied, in ancient days when a dignitary, particularly if it was the the, the, the king, when he would visit some out-of-the-way place, the people of that village or that small town would want, would want it to be easy for the king to get into town. So they would go out and they'd clear off the roads, get all the rocks and the limbs out of the road. They'd fill in the, 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 the ruts. Sometimes they would even take a road that had been curved and they'd make it straight so that when the king came, he'd come straight into town. So we're getting a verbal picture of that happening in people's hearts. Make make the way smooth for the king to come in, into our lives. The king is coming. The Messiah is coming. The long-awaited one's on his way. So let's prepare our hearts for his coming. Get ready for the Messiah. But these words are also words that that describe repentance. Straightening out the road. Filling in the ruts bringing down the high hills, making the ground level and smooth. It's a picture of repentance. And that's the message that John was preaching. Now, verses 7 through 9 give us a picture of his preaching. And there's only one word that I can think of, and that is the word confrontational. John was confrontational in his preaching and um, not trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, Um, no effort to do that. He's just right there with a confrontational message. Um, And they flocked to hear him. Now, all of you know Brad Eccles, our youth minister. You know, we rotate the staff to do welcome on Sunday morning back before all this happened. And so I always, I always looked forward to the Sundays that Brad was our welcomer. You know what I'm getting to? When he would step up to the pulpit and he's got a loud voice and he, he'd wake you up if you'd fallen asleep or if you were out there visiting with your friends, it was time to get quiet and Brad would say, good morning, First Baptist Belton. And man, everybody jumped and hopped and got back in their seat and got quiet. Uh, he got our attention. He got our attention, so I can't wait till he gets to do that again when things are are, are are back are back to normal. But John didn't say good morning, Israelites. He said, "You brood of vipers." <laughs> well, how long would Brad last 
is our youth minister. If he came up and looked around and said, you brood of vipers, who told you to come to church today? We would all say, oh, my goodness, who does he think he is? Well, John didn't care what people thought. He's preaching what God told him to preach. And he looks out and he says, you are a brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath. And what was, what was the result? Everybody pouted and picked up their lunches and went home? No, they listened to his message. And by the hundreds, they repented and were baptized in the Jordan River. What an amazing, amazing thing. So I think if there's a message there for 21st century Christians, it's don't worry about the preacher being nice. Worry about the message. Listen to the message. And if the judgment of God is pronounced, then let your ears perk up and do what God's telling you to do as an individual. And and so John's message is repent and then produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he says in verse 8, true repentance will produce fruit. Now, Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. So I want you to think about that. I mean, I'm not going to chase a rabbit too far down the path here. But if someone says, I have repented of my sin, I've given my life to Christ, and there is no fruit, they don't look any different than they did before they get supposedly got saved. If lifestyle doesn't change, if sin continues, what are we to think of that? Well, all I know is Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. And John says, if if you repent, then you're going to produce fruit in keeping with that repentance. So it does us well to remember that. Um, apparently, there were those who were saying to John, wait, wait, wait a minute. We don't need to repent. Don't you know who we are? We're children of Abraham. We are um, the Hebrew people. We are special and we are privileged. God has set us apart. And that's true. God did set them apart. But some were saying, don't come at us with this repentance stuff. We're okay with God. We're Hebrews. We're okay. And John says, no, you're not. No, you're not. If God wanted to raise up children of Abraham from the rocks that are on the ground in front of me, he could do that. What he's saying to you is, you may be a child of Abraham, but you need to repent of your sin. And that was the message. So today, we can't say, well, 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 wait a minute, I'm a Baptist, so I'm okay with God. Think carefully about that. Are you okay with God because you've given your life to Christ? You've been justified and pronounced righteous? Or do you think you're right with God because of some title that you put to your name? Joe Smith, Baptist. Andy Davis, Baptist pastor. No, it's the heart that counts. And John says, produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Now, in verse 9, he says, the axe is at the root. Uh, I, I want us to notice that the axe is going to the source. He doesn't say the axe is at the base of the trunk. 
He's saying the axe is at the root, chopping away at the root system. And so that's a word picture. His, his saying, whatever you're calling, what you're producing with your life is not fruit in keeping with repentance. So the message of John is, uh, I don't, it's brutal, brutal. Uh, exactly what God told him to do to prepare the way for the Messiah. I've often wondered today how many churches would call John to do a revival if we knew in advance of his message. Well, John is introducing us to the Messiah. John is introducing us to the judge. You remember the way he words it in John's gospel? Um, John the apostle writes the fourth gospel. When Jesus came to the river Jordan, What was it that John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an electric moment that must have been. Kind of like to see it in instant replay. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Repentance brings salvation. A failure to repent brings damnation. And that could also be a summary of the message of John the baptizer. Now, God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. And his life and ministry are about to unfold before our eyes. And we have lots of exciting events to look forward to as we read the gospel uh, of Luke. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you know, I'm in Galatians, been preaching about justification, and that'll continue uh, when we get back to Galatians. This Sunday, I'm not in Galatians. This Sunday, I'm we're getting back together, and the message is going to be about that. But then we'll get back to Galatians, and we'll continue to look at justification and righteousness. But, but you know, we have we are pronounced righteous. Because we've been justified. We've been declared right with God. And so John is preaching a message of get ready. Here he is. The Messiah is here. And so prepare your hearts. Now, uh, he gives us in verses 10 through 14 some signs of real repentance. So let's look at verses 10 through 14. Uh, we'll, we're just about done for, for today. Verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content. With your pay. By the way, there's a picture here with the soldiers. These soldiers would have, who would they have been? They, they wouldn't have been Jews. Who would they have been? They would have been Gentiles. So not only are the Jews listening, but the Gentiles are listening. And the message, as Paul emphasizes in Galatians, the message is the same for both Jew and Gentile. So here's some signs and we'll close with this. Uh, here are here's the evidence of hearts that have been softened 
because of repentance, softened by hard preaching and softened by repentance. Verse 11 is an example of what would be a fruit of repentance. Share, be generous. Demonstrate your repentance by your sharing, your generosity with those around you. In verses 12 through 14, he deals with some... Be honest as well as generous. He puts some specificity to this with certain people and their actions. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote, our entire life is to be one of repentance. And that's that's true. So he gives us some examples of what should be evident in the life of one who has truly repented of his sin. So I invite you to review those verses before we come back next week. And he's, he's saying some pretty strong, he's saying some pretty strong things here, but he's saying honesty, integrity, generosity, kindness should mark us if we've truly repented. So let that float around in your heart and your mind. Do those things describe you? If not, then sounds like there's time to do some business with God. If so, then it is evidence of your repentance. Okay, we're going to stop right there. We're going to pick up next time at verse 15 and move on to the rest of John's ministry, to the baptism of Jesus, and to the genealogy of of Jesus. Now, if you're thinking, oh my, I don't know that I want to get into all those names. Uh, we won't. They're important, but we'll take a high 30,000 foot view of the genealogy. But what I do want to go into detail on is why is it there? Why is, why is that there? Uh, there's got to be a reason and there is. So that's what we'll look at next time. The reason for the genealogy after we get finished with John's preaching and the baptism of Jesus. Well, I love you guys, and I'm I'm so excited to see you. And I look forward to the day that we're able to get back together. And I don't know when that's going to be yet, but in the great scheme of things, in light of eternity, it's not far off. Okay? But let's bow together. And then if you want to hang around and talk to some of your friends, you're welcome to do so. Father, thank you for your goodness, your graciousness your forgiveness. Thank you that you called us to repentance, to turn and go in the opposite direction. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life in Jesus. Bless us today as we go about the activities of the rest of the day, whatever that may be, whatever we're allowed to do, whatever we can do. I pray that you'll bless us. I pray for your blessing on every single person who joined with us today. Watch over them and keep them safe. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.